him. A little slip and fall, and I guess everything's all right. Just um, can't really read carefully, so he was going to teach today. And then you have uh, a blessing here, Nathan, uh, in a bilingual service here at 10.45. So, you. All right, you all should have a handout. We are going to be turning to the book of Haggai, looking at, uh, you know, it's a short book, only two chapters, but I'll be covering chapter one in the book of Haggai. And uh, the, the topic that I want to cover this morning is commitment. Commitment, you know, it's something that, um, well, sadly, many people have a difficult time committing to things. It's easy to say something, but it's difficult to follow up. So as you're turning to the book of Haggai, let me go ahead and open us in prayer. Father, I thank you once again for allowing us to be here. I thank you for allowing us to have your word, Lord. And Lord, I pray that uh, through this morning's uh, lesson that we will just uh, reaffirm and solidify our commitment unto you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I get into the text this morning, what I want to do is I want to read something that I came across. And it is about the... Uh, uh, the tenor, Luciano Pavarotti. And the story goes this way. It says that when he was a boy, when he says this, when I was a boy, my father, a baker, introduced me to the wonders of song. He urged me to work very hard to develop my voice. Arrigo Cola, the professional tenor in my hometown of Badetta, Italy, took me as a pupil. I also enrolled in a teacher's college. On graduating, I asked my father, shall I be a teacher or singer? Luciano, my father replied, if you try to sit on two chairs, you will fall between them. For life, you must choose one chair. I chose one. It took seven years of study and frustration before I made my professional appearance. It took another seven to reach the Metropolitan Opera. And now, I think whether it's laying bricks, writing a book, whatever we choose, we should give ourselves to it. Commitment. That's the key. Choose one chair. I relate this story because, you know, the general tone of American Christianity today, sadly, could be described as trivial, blasé, casual, and shallow at best. And, you know, today Christianity seems to be less a matter of commitment and sadly more a matter of convenience. You know, people will commit themselves to monthly payments of four to $700 a month for a new vehicle. But when it comes to Christianity, the average American could identify as Mr. or Mrs. Uncommitted. You know, most Americans are like those, like the prophets that Elijah talked about in the book of First Kings when he was um, going up against the prophets of Baal. He said this, you know, in 18, 1 Kings 18.21, he says, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, Not a word. You know, they refused to commit themselves one way or the other. Webster's defines the word commitment as this, the act of pledging or engaging. The act of pledging or engaging, and with a reciprocal pronoun, to commit oneself is to do some act or make some declaration which may bind the person in honor, 
good faith or consistency to pursue a certain course of conduct or to adhere to the tenor of that declaration. You know, we would say today that a person who is sold out, a person who's dedicated, a person who's devoted, a person who's loyal, going all out, full blast, full tilt, you know, this is a person that's committed for, but sadly, today, not many people fit this description, and especially when it comes to the New Testament church. So with that, Haggai, Haggai chapter 1. Let's take a look at verse number 1 there. It says there, In the second year of Darius, the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai, the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, You know, first thing is that God reaches out to leaders. And you may be saying to yourself, Well, I'm not a leader. Guess what? Everywhere that we are, that we're at, that is our field of influence, wherever it may be. You may say, I'm not a preacher, I'm not a teacher, I'm not a Sunday school teacher. But at the same time, we as Christians can lead wherever we are. Wherever our circle of influence is, that is some place that we can lead. So we see here the first thing is that God reaches out to us. And what we need to understand is that we as Christians have no excuse. We should be obeying, we should be following and doing that which, we, uh, which, which we're called to do. So we see here that Haggai is called out by God and he's going. He goes to, the, uh, uh, to Zerubbabel. He, he's basically the governor of Judah. And he also is speaking out to Joshua. He's the high priest. And notice in verse number two, he says this, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. You know, sadly, what happens is that God calls, and what we, what we often do is, number two, is that we find excuses not to do God's will. We find excuses. You know, this is a challenge that I find in the prison. One, one of the challenges that the guys tell me is that, chap, you don't understand what goes on in the housing units. I said, yeah, I absolutely, I have no idea what goes on in the housing units. You know, I don't know the, um, the influence or the, 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 the challenges that you all face, but I do know what God's word says, is that we cannot be making excuses if we're committed to God, what we need to do is we need, a, we need to dedicate our lives to Him. We need to do the things that He wants us to do. Not what's convenient for us. And sadly, what happens is that we live in a world today where it, we live in a world of convenience. If it's not convenient for me, then I choose not to do it. You know, if it's too hard, if, it, if I have to go out of my way to do something, then I choose not to do it. You know, and what we have to understand is that God wants us to do that which He wants which he calls us to do. But more importantly is this, if we look at what Jesus did on the cross, it certainly wasn't convenient for him to die. So how is it that when we're asked to do something that maybe, perhaps, it might take, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes of going out of our way to do something that we claim that we can't do it, I don't have time, hey, you know what, I'll go call somebody else to do it? No, what we, what we need to do is we need to get rid of the excuses and just do what God wants us to do. You know, when the going gets tough, they said it's, look at what they said there. The time is not come. You know, it, it's not God's will to build at this particular point in time. You know, the, let me back up a bit. Essentially, Haggai is written, is writing 
from the prophets that have gone back to Jerusalem. They've gone back to Jerusalem. They've come across some opposition from the people there, and they were asked not to, um, not to build. In fact, if you go back to the book of Ezra, you see that the building had stopped. Now Haggai has come in, and he's looking at all of this, and he's listening to the people. And it's fascinating where in today's world, in fact, I shouldn't say in today's world, it's probably gone all, all of, all of um, history, is that oftentimes we justify our behaviors. It's easy for us to justify our behaviors. You know, it's like, oh, hey, you don't understand. You don't know what we, the difficulties that we have to do. You don't know, understand the challenges that we have to go through. You know, one of the things that I still enjoy uh, watching these um, these early settler movies, they take place back in the uh, late 19, uh, not late 1900s, late 1800s, early 1900s, where they're going out west and they're basically building or they're, um, they're homesteading back then. The government used to give people land. And what you needed to do is you need to go out there, you claim your piece of land, but then you needed to work it. And I look at this and I, you know, they, they have these things, um, they're, they're basically sickles, but they're like, long if you look at a, a sickle today it's just a longer version but then there's a handle on the top and you see these people they're just cutting all the grass with this thing and I think to myself my goodness my goodness I complain with the gas powered weed whacker cutting my grass I cannot imagine clearing my yard with one of those much less clearing acres of land with one of those it's like it's too hard work it's like I, 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 you know, I look at, I look for excuses as to why not to cut my grass. Oh, yeah, it's getting cloudy. It looks like it looks like it's going to rain. Yeah, you know, by the time I get out there, I get everything going and stuff like that. But I start cutting grass while it's raining. I'm not going to be able to pick up the grass because it's all sticking to the concrete and everything else. But sadly, that's my mindset. Is that I'm looking to. Um, make excuses and not only make excuses but I'm trying to justify my bad behavior so he says here <clears throat> in in verse number two that the time is not come that's what the people are saying the time is not come the time that the Lord's house should be built they felt hey you know they were coming across all of this opposition and so hence they said because of all of this opposition, we cannot build. In fact, they told us not to build. And in today's society, we look at Christianity or modern Christians is that because other people are making fun of us or other people are making life difficult for us. So hence, what do we do? We abide, we, we tell ourselves that, hey, you know what? What I need to do is just keep my mouth shut, not ruffle any feathers and just do what they want me to do. No. What we need to do is we need to do what God wants me to do. And, you know, when we look at history, right, just because something is difficult and hard and it's going to cost us something, it does not mean that it's not God's will. Look at Noah, right? How long did he build? He was building the ark for 120 years. People were coming to him. It's like, dude, what you doing? What is that thing? It's like, oh, I'm doing what God wants me to do. It's like, well, is that a boat? In fact, I don't even think they knew what a boat was back then. And it's like, what for? It's like, it's never rained before, right? They had never seen. People were mocking him, were making fun of him, but yet he prevailed. What about Abraham? 
You know, he came from the earth, the earth called these. He was called out. He was called out of this Gentile nation. He was called out from um, the uh, these idol worshipers. What about modern day missionaries? You know, when we look at missionaries, and the missionaries that come to mind are the youngs back in uh, in Papua New Guinea. You know, an older couple. I, I have no idea how old Mr. and Mrs. Young are in their 80s, but living in basically a third world country, in an area where even other Christian churches are opposed to them. Why? Because they're preaching God's Word, because they're preaching the Bible, because they're pre preaching and teaching God's Word. You know, Mr. Young has translated the New Testament into their pidgin dialect there, and now he's looking to distribute Despite what others are saying, despite the challenges that he comes across, Mr. and Mrs. Young are out there just continuing to do God's word. These are individuals that are committed. These are individuals that, despite the circumstances, it's easy for us. In today's society, it's like, oh, you know what? Um, I, I can't do the translation because I don't have electricity. I don't have a computer. You, you think about when our... A King James Bible was translated. There were no computers. There were no typewriters. These things were all done by hand. You know, and said, eh, eh. well, and then there was the printing press, but well, we in today's society want it so easy. We were looking for a life of convenience. And sadly, we have to understand that the, the life of a Christian may not be a life of convenience. More importantly, is that it may be one of persecution, it may be one of hardships, but ultimately what we have to understand is this, if it is God's will, He will provide the means necessary to accomplish that particular task. Look at verse number four there. Verse number four, it says, it is time for you, O ye, to dwell, is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? You know, he's talking to the Jews there, right? And sadly, verse number three, um, item number three in the sheet there, we will make the effort to accomplish that which will benefit us. What, what are the people, what, what's Haggai's response to the people? He says, is it time for you, Oye? Dwell in your sealed houses, your pretty houses, your, your no, nice homes and stuff like that. But yet, the temple of God is going neglected. The temple of God is sitting idle. No one's working there. You know, but at the same time, if it's for you, you want a nice house, you want all of these, the, the, the benefits. I look at my home, home today and it's one of these things where it's like, man, Hugh, you know, sadly what happened was about 15 years ago, I had wanted to do some, um, some renovations on my home. And I went to the city and county, the building permit office, and I asked them, I said, hey, you know, I, I'm looking to uh, do some renovations to my house. What can I do? What do I need to do? What paperwork do I need to do? And the clerk there said, oh, what's your address? So I gave him my address and he pulled out the map and he says, oh, you're in the land, you're in the land side area. I said, yeah, I'm in the land side area. He said, oh, we can't, we can't issue any permits in that area. I looked at him and I says, why not? He says, because you're in a landslide area, right? And he, sadly what happened is that it, I took that and I just, allowed, I, I just said, okay, well, if I can't do anything, what am I gonna do? I, I, I use that an excuse not to do anything. And 15 years later, if you look at my home, it's like, oh my goodness, you should have done something about this 15 years ago. But the point is this, is that I allowed a no 
to just influence me and now I'm paying the price. Now I got all these things that I need to take care of in my house. But what happened is that I use that, I use that as an excuse. But what Haggai tells the people, he says, hey, you guys have these beautiful homes, but at the same time, look at the temple of God. Nothing's being done there. Why? Just because it doesn't benefit you? No, what we have to understand is this. Uh, the, the sacrifice that we make for God will come back. We may, we may not get our rewards on earth, but we're definitely storing up rewards in heaven, right? Getting out tracks, leading other people to Christ. These are things that are important. Number four, verse number five. Notice what also Haggai said. He says, after he, he's told them, right, he's kind of given them a, a reprimand, telling them that, hey, you guys got these beautiful homes, but yet God's house is not doing anything. And then in verse number five, he says, now therefore... Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You know, consider your ways. Sadly, what happens is that we often do, we often are willing to take time out. We're often willing to do things that benefit us. Like, hey, I don't know, going out to a nice dinner with our family, with our loved ones. But yet at the same time, when we come to church, we just drop a dollar in the up. In the offering plate rather than giving unto God what we're supposed to be giving you know the, the biggest challenge in today and it's like well here you don't understand yeah I, I don't I don't understand what everybody's situation is but at the same time I do know what God's Word tells us to do there are things that God wants us to do and those are things that we need to be obedient unto. so hence you know the in <clears throat> What we need to do, verse number four, uh, number four on the sheet, is that we need to examine our priorities. What's our priority? Is it serving God or serving self? And you know, oftentimes it's like, well, you, you know, you, I, I'm the breadwinner of the family, so what I'm doing is I'm serving my my family. And there are there there are um, a couple of guys over at. Um, Halaba that were on our chapel work line. In other words, they were working in the chapel and they were paroled out. And these men are doing well. And one of the things that I, I asked them prior to them paroling out, I says, what are your plans? What are you going to be doing? Oh, you know, what I need to do, what I'm planning on doing is I'm going to, they, they have these jobs all lined up and, and everything. And then, so they said, well, first thing I need to do is I need to find a place to stay. Okay, great, yes, you need a stable home environment. You need a stable place to uh, stay. You need a roof over your, uh, your head. And they said, second thing is that I need to find a job. I said, hmm, okay, that's great. It's a good thing. You know, sadly, and then the third thing is I need to find a good church. I said, perhaps what you might wanna do is put that up, I don't know, number two, Find a good church, worship God, do things God wants you to do, and He'll lead you to the jobs uh, that He wants you to do. And you know, the, the two gentlemen that I'm thinking of, essentially, they're out there, they have a uh, place to stay, they have great jobs, and they were going to church. But now what's happened is that I'll text them, hey, how you doing? Just thinking about you, praying for you, and all this. And all they're doing right now is their focus is work. Focus is work. So now what's happened is that, you know, and, and I understand that mentality, 
if you've been incarcerated for a long period of time, what you want to do is you want to make up for that, right? You want to be productive. You you want to be able to help your family. But I'll ask them, I said, so how, have you found a good church? Have you found a good church? Oh yeah, still looking, still, uh, you know, still checking out different churches. I said, well, I'd love to see you on a Sunday at, over here. You know, but neither of them has showed up. Or in fact, at this point, neither of them have even, even asked for our, our address. But the point is this. He says that number four is like we need to examine our priorities. What What is our priority, right? What is our priority? Because if we're not putting God first, what happens is that everything else falls apart. We need to understand it's God first and then everything. God, family, and then whatever else may be. And if we're not doing that, we, we get our priorities messed up. Guess what happens? Our life also gets messed up. Number five there on your sheet. We are nothing compared to God. We are nothing compared to God. And I have on the side there two, uh, two verses out of Psalm 8. And I'll go ahead and read them. Psalm 8 verses 3 and verses 4. It says, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visited sin, visited, excuse me, visited him? You know, we are nothing compared to God. It's like, what are we? Why should God even care about us? We we need to be grateful. The fact that God is concerned about us. God is concerned about our well-being. You know, and and when I covered this verse. Interesting enough, a while back over in the prison, and when I say the verse, I'm talking about verse number four, uh, four there. One of the men made this comment. He said, chap, you know, that is a tall order or a good thing to be pondering. What am I? I'm one of seven billion people here on the earth. Why should God be concerned about me? Why should God even care? Much less the fact that I'm here at Halava Prison. Why should God even care about me, right? But the psalm says, what is man? We're nothing, right? That thou art mindful of him. He's, he's asking, why should God be concerned about him? But at the same time, God does. He is concerned about his creation. And we, we should be thankful for that. The sixth thing on your sheet there. In verse number six, it says, Give so much and bring in little, ye eat. But you have not uh, enough, ye drink, but you're not filled with drink. He clothed you, but there is none warm. And he that earned wages, earned wages to put into a bag with holes. Number six on your sheet. The harder we work for ourselves, the less we bring in. You know, like I was talking about those uh, two gentlemen that had paroled out. You know, here they are, working hard, working, trying to make up for lost time. And I pray that it's not going to not for not. Because look at Haggai says here, you sold, hey, you know what? You're working hard. And but yet at the same time, you're you're putting you're putting in all this time into your fields, but your harvest is minimal. You eat, but not enough. He says, You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe, but you're you're not warm. And he says, You earn wages, but these wages are just going into these bags that have are full of holes it's like a seed you everything gain lost and ultimately what we have to understand is that like the focus 
the focus needs to be on God. It's not about ourselves, right? So the harder we work for ourselves, the less we can we might bring in. Number seven there, God wants to develop something valuable in our heart and life. God wants to develop something valuable in our heart and life. You know, Solomon writes in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. What does that mean? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. You know, we have to be wholly committed. We're supposed to be buying in 100% to what God tells us, what God wants us to do. But notice the second part of that verse. He says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not what? Unto my own understanding. I know what my problem is, is that my problem is that I always think I know what's best and what's not best, right? And it's, it, I've been saved for 27 years, but there's still, I'm still working on that. I'm still working on the submission part. I'm still working on the fact that, you know what, you, I need to trust God. I need to turn to God. I need to allow God to direct me, to lead me in this, right? It, and lean not into your own understanding. I need to remind myself that, hey, you're the one that always got yourself into trouble. You know what, Hugh? What you need to do is you need to trust God in, in, in all things, not in some things, right? Trust the Lord with all my heart and lean not onto my own understanding. And then he goes on, he says, in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path, right? When we're following, when we're submitting unto God, you know, 1 Peter 5, 6 is, humble thyself under the mighty hand of God. It's not a matter of humbling ourselves unto man, he says, humble ourselves under the, uh, under the hand of God. But it's not just under the hand of God. He, he calls it the mighty hand of God. <coughs> yeah. You know, the, 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 that is something that I, I honestly, I'm working towards. I have to remind myself, hey, you know what? God is in control. You, you're not the one. You're not the one that's in control. It's God. God is in control. So what we have to do is trust God but more importantly is this is that he is trying to develop something valuable he wants our heart and when he gets our heart guess what he can direct our life the eighth thing on your list there our problem is we want to go our own way you know the, the verbiage here is our part I start off with the pronoun our I don't know about any of you but what I should have done is my problem, because it is. My problem is I want to go my own way. Isaiah 53, 6 says this. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord had laid on him the inequity of us all. You know, the default for many of us, well, I shouldn't say many of us. Once again, I need to narrow it down and dress it to myself. I know the default for me for many years was my experiences, my past experiences, the things that I did in the past to get me out or to be able to figure out a particular situation was I would first and foremost turn to, how did I deal with this before? How did I deal with this particular situation before? You know, and it came to light this particular situation or dealing things my own way right back about 
this had to have been about 21, 22 years ago when I first got into the mortgage industry. My boss back then, he says, hey Hugh, I got this great deal on all this module office furniture. This company downtown had um, bought all new furniture. So what they did was they sold all this modular furniture real cheap. I went, oh, perfect. So we went down, we picked it up and we brought it back to the office. And when we, well, before we um, brought it back to the office, I asked the person that was in the office downtown, I says, hey, you guys got instructions for this? He said, oh no, it's easy. You know, it's just putting things together, putting the corners together, fitting in the pieces, and then dropping this rod down, the connector, and basically it holds everything in place. And it's the same thing with the um, cabinets and all of this, right? It's easy once you get it all up, and then, you know, it may take two people to get the cap, hook the cabinets in and all of this, right? So I said, okay, that's fine. So anyway, we're at the office. I'm putting together all of these sections, and I, I asked my boss, I said, how do you want this set up? He says, well, here, 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 here. <coughs> so I said, okay, that's fine. So I'm going along, it's like, oh, okay, this is easy. And then I, got, I had put together about uh, probably three or four, um, you know, uh, sections where people could sit. And then I got to the fourth one, and the corner here, I put it together, and what you do is you, they have this uh, a rod. It's probably like about a quarter inch metal rod. It's about three feet high. And all you do is drop it down and it locks it into place. And I dropped the rod and the rod dropped down maybe about six inches. I'm like, what? I pulled the rod back out. I looked into the hole. I was like, huh, it looks clear down there, right? Once again, I dropped the rod and dropped down about six inches. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe. What do I do? I just jiggle it, right? Jiggle, 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 thinking it's it's caught somewhere. I pull the rod back out and I'm looking down. It's like, this thing is clear. I go into the kitchen. I grab a flashlight. I shine the flashlight in there. It's like, I can see all the way down to the bottom. Can't figure out what, what's going on here. Long story short, I was doing this for about 10 minutes. I was literally frustrated. It was like, I can't believe it. I can't believe I can't get this thing together, right? And in, in, in a fit of just, I had completely, rather than, I, I, I should say I wanted to break down and cry, but I didn't. But I was literally frustrated. I just sat down my wall on my back up against the, the wall. I'm going, Lord, I don't know what is going on here. But the only thing that I know to do is ask for your help. I said, I need your help. Please help me. I stood up, and next thing you know, I'm walking back to that corner, and this thing, this bar goes, Zoop. I'm like, huh? how did that happen? I didn't even touch it. I didn't touch the wall, dude. I didn't do anything. This bar just literally just dropped down. And it was one of those situations where, you know, here I was spending 10, 15 minutes frustrated, totally frustrated. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, Hugh. Had you known that, you should have just gone back and sat down on the ground and just prayed and asked God to help this, fix this situation. And what's interesting is that many a time since that, I've done that, where I've asked God to help me in a situation. You know, I, years back, I was in a, um, we were at our office downtown, and um, I could not get my van out of drive. And I was like, I mean, 
on a park. I'm like, I started up the van. I'm like, what am I? I couldn't figure out what to do. And I'm uh, adjusting the steering and all of this. And finally, I turned it off. I said, all right, Lord, I need your help. God brings to mind a buddy of mine. I called him up. I said, hey, you know, I don't know if you can help me, but I'm here at my office and I can't get my, my van out of park. And he says, oh, he said, I'm, I'm heading into downtown. He said, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be at your office in about 10 minutes. Perfect. So he comes down to my office. Next thing you know, he, he does the same thing I did, turn on the car and then trying to put it into park. He said, I know exactly what's wrong. He gets underneath my van. He does something. He, he takes a screwdriver and literally what happened was that there was, I think, the differential or something. I don't know anything about cars, all right? I have a difficult time putting gas in, so forgive me if I have all the parts wrong. But all I know is he got under my van, he did something, and then he says, okay, turn the car on, turn it into park. See, I mean, get put, put it into uh, reverse. So I turn, um, turn the engine on, turn the gear shift. Next thing you know, it's like, choo, 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 choo. Reverse, neutral, drive, it's like, oh, praise the Lord. But it's instances like this that basically what, what um, Haggai is saying here is that you've, you've worked a, a hard, but yet you're not getting anything. What we need to understand is that perhaps what we need to do is we need to turn to God, right? And like I said in verse number, uh, in number eight there, is that oftentimes I'm trying to do it my own way. I cannot. I can't do it my own way. What I need to do is I need to do it God's way. You know, Matthew 7, 13 and 14 says, Enter ye in the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that lead to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. You know, wide is the road, right? This road that everybody wants to just do their own thing. But the illustration that Jesus gives here, enter ye at the straight gate, for wide is the gate. Wide is the gate. Wide is the way that the world wants to do things, their own way. But yet at the same time, you look at it as a funnel, right? So the top is very wide, but then, so it's easy to catch a lot of things. But as it's going through that funnel, it goes down to one point. You can only go one way, right? And it says, broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. So there are many people that are going down that way. But at the same time, if we're to flip that funnel upside down, right, with the narrow side up, verse 14 in Matthew 7 says, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way, that top way, the, that way that's Jesus Christ, that is the only way, right? That's the only way that we can get to heaven. He says, so, and brought, uh, narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few that find it. In other words, hey, yeah, so we come into the top or the narrow part of that funnel. We come in through Jesus Christ, but now what happens is that we're, we're giving a life that has a whole bunch of choices. You know, sadly, what happens is that people always often say this, is that I, I don't want to give up my ways. What ways? The ways that keep getting me into trouble? No. It says, I don't want to give up whatever it may be. Drinking, smoking, drugs, I don't, I don't know. But, you know... What we have to understand is that oftentimes people think they need to clean up their act before they come to church. No. We come to church, we get saved, and then God will do the cleaning. God will do the changing. God will begin to change our hearts. And that's what we need to do. What is that? That's basically submitting. That's turning ourselves over unto God. So what we have to ask ourselves is this. 
What path are we taking? Are we taking the wide path? Or are we taking the narrow path? And who's leading us? Is God leading us or are we allowing the world to lead us? You know, what we need to understand, verse uh, number nine on your sheet there, doing God's work takes a great deal of time and effort. Time and effort. Look at verse number eight in Haggai. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build a house. We have to, he's, he's instructing the people, go, right? So it's gonna take time, go up to the mountain. Back then it was a matter of walking. There was some distance to be covered. When you get up there, he says, and, and bring, bring the wood. How do you bring the wood? Well, what you need to do is you need to put some effort into it. You need to cut it down. So going to the mountain, putting in some work, cutting down this wood, chopping it down, milling it. And then now you can build your houses. This particular verse also ties into number 10 on your sheet. There are no easy shortcuts in our service to God. You know, one of the things when I was, when I, I got on a health kick many years ago, and one of the things that I used to, to do was, I used to like to call it, it's like, I used to call them hacks. Hacks, a shortcut to get the same thing done or shortcut using less time to get the same work done. But when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to our sanctification process, when it comes to our walk, there are no shortcuts. What do we do? Well, first thing that we should be doing is reading God's Word. Is there a shortcut to reading God's Word? I don't know any. I certainly don't know any. And you know, people may have in fact, I remember many, many years ago buying the, the CDs, the audio CDs of the King James Bible. I forget the gentleman that, um, he's got a very deep voice. And, what was his name? Alexander Scorby. Probably. Yes, I mean, you'd listen to him and say, whoa, it's like God speaking, right? <laughs> but here's the thing. I, I am not a... a, a what do you call it? Auditory person. I'm a visual learner, right? So I have a difficult time listening to the Bible. I have to read the Bible. Why? Because not only do I have to read the Bible, but then I also have to mark it all up. I have to make notes in here because this is my Bible. This is my personal notes, right? So it takes time. There are no shortcuts. And ultimately, what we have to understand is that Laziness is the reason people fail in their Christian lives. I asked the guys in, in prison, I said, oh, hey, so are you reading? He said, oh, yeah, how often? It's like, oh, you know, in fact, I, I just had this conversation with a gentleman on Wednesday. He said, well, I try to do it every day, but at the very least, it's every two to three days. I says, well, why is it that you're not able to do it every day? He said, well, you know, I'm busy. I said, Give me a break. Give me a break. I said, you're on a work line, right? Yep. Okay. So what time do they call you for work? He said, oh, 7.30. I said, what time, do you, they, what time do they wake you up for breakfast? He said, they wake us up at 5 o'clock. I mean, not 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock. And, and then we go to chow at 6.15. I said, how long are you guys in chow? He said, oh, until 6, uh, 6.30, 6.35, 20 minutes chow. I said, okay. And then you come back, you do your business, all that personal stuff. And I said, you still got 45 minutes prior to you going to work. 
I said, what about after work? Because they don't, they don't work past 1.30. So now they got from 1.30, 2 o'clock until they go to sleep at night. I said, what about all that time there? It's like, please don't tell me you don't have time. <laughs> you know, but sadly, that's what happens is that laziness, laziness is the reason why many Christians fail. They have trouble walking this, this life. Number 11, simple obedience. Obedience delights God. Look at verse number 8 there. The end of that verse. It says, and I will take pleasure in it. Take pleasure in what? When they, when they obey, when they go up to the mountain, when they work, um, bring wood, they build their houses. He says, I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, saith the Lord. You know, our obedience to God, it brings delight unto Him. And that's what we should be doing. You, you parents, when your children obey you, does it not bring delight to you? It's like, wow, my kids listen. My kids are doing the things that they want me, uh, I, I ask them to do. That's a joy. That's a blessing. We can also be the same for, uh, towards God. As, as His children, right, being obedient unto Him can, give, uh, can be a delight to God. Number 12 there in the sheet. When God is not first in our lives, we will struggle when God is not first in our lives. Verse number nine there. He says, Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why? said the Lord of horse. How close? Because of my house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. So, what are the people doing? What is Haggai doing? Haggai is reprimand, reprimanding these people. He says, Hey, you guys are not putting God first. It's your house. It's your things. It's you, you, you. Not God. What we have to understand is that it's God first. So when we, when God is not first in our life, guess what? We will struggle, right? We struggle because he says in verse number nine there, he says, and when he brought it home, I did blow upon it. You know, God can bring challenges into our lives when not being obedient unto Him. And that's the last thing I need. Life can be as difficult as is. Why do we want to bring add on to having God bring uh, challenges into our lives? Yeah, God can bring challenges to our lives to build us up. But at the same time, we don't have to be going out of our way to in bring these things into our lives. <clears throat> Number 13. God may behind the may be behind the problems we're experiencing because he wants to get our attention off self and onto him. Verse number 10 there. It says, therefore, therefore, because you guys were doing your thing before you, because you were looking up for just yourself, your homes, therefore, verse 10, therefore the heaven over you is stayed from you and the earth is stayed from her fruit. When the Basically, what we see here is that oftentimes God will do things, will create things. Why? To get our attention. So to get our attention off of me and onto Him, turn to Him, submit onto Him. Why? Because of the things that He has allowed to happen in our lives. And along with this, verse number 14, um, number 14 on your sheet there. Our failure to obey God causes Him to withhold blessings from us. Verse number 11. Haggai says this, And I called for a drop upon the land, upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle. 
and upon all the labors of the hands. You know, we are trying to live the best life. The last thing we need are additional challenges in our lives, right? So why not obey God? Why not obey God? So that we are not adding to it. We're not calling God to bring discipline or bring more challenges into our lives. Number 15 on your sheet. Obedience to the word of God will humble us and show us our failures. Verse number 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Joseph, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people did fear before the Lord. So we have the previous verses there. Basically, we see the people being challenged. We see God's, um, God's judgment making life more difficult onto them. Why? God had to do this. Why? So that he could humble us, so that he could bring us back unto him to understand that, hey, we cannot do this on our own. We are totally dependent on God. Number 16, when we know God is with us, that should encourage to do whatever he asks. Okay, verse number 13 there. Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, in the Lord's, uh, in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, said the Lord. I am with you. You know, that is a promise from God. God is there with us when we're obedient unto him. He will do. You know, he'll be by our side. He'll help us. He, he'll assist us. And James, in the book of James, in chapter 4, he says, Draw nigh unto me, and I will draw nigh unto you. You know, that is a conditional promise. It is conditioned upon us taking the first step. It is conditioned upon us doing the necessary thing. What is that? Drawing near to God. And then what? Then God will draw near to us. So God here has made a promise. He says, I am with you, saith the Lord. And ultimately, number 17, the promise of God's presence rests on our obedience. You know, I, I have there listed the um, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, the Great Commission. And in that, in verse number 19 in Matthew, it says go. First word out of the box is go. Go where? Go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And then verse number 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I command, I have commanded you. And then he also makes a promise, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. You know, obeying God is something, I don't know about you all, but I do know from a male perspective, from an individual that's been, that lived his life for 36 years on his own, it was, it, it was a 180 degree change of mind to turn my life over to somebody, to give myself up to somebody. And it's not easy, but yet the more I read God's word, the more I, I, I um, come to know God, what happens is that I can see the faithfulness of God, but more important is this, the promises of God. God never fails. God never fails. And the last thing, number 18, the people respond to the challenge. 
Look at verse number one there. It says, in the second year of Darius, the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month. And then in verse number 14 and 15. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, in the four and twentieth day of the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. So 23 days later, you know, after all the things that uh, Haggai was telling them, they finally listened. They finally got off their horses, uh, off their behinds and started doing something, doing God's work. And so the, the lesson that I want to get across, the point that I want to get across is this, folks, is that we cannot be spectator Christians. You know, people who sit on the sidelines and watch other people do it. What we need to do is we need to get off the sidelines and into the game. You know, it's easy. Years ago, my um, my sister loves football and she loves a particular team. I shouldn't say she loves. She likes football, NFL football, and she likes a particular team. And she'd be watching the TV, and I'd hear her yelling, you know, hear her yelling at the TV, yelling at the coaches, yelling at the players. So finally, one day, I went out and I told her, I said, "Hey." What are you doing yelling at the TV? She said, oh, and then she starts complaining about something, right? I said, do you realize how difficult it is to do some of the things that these people are doing? I said, have you ever, you've never played a down of football in your entire life. And here you are telling these professional athletes what to do. I said, how dare you? I said, unless you've been in the field, unless you've played the sport, you have nothing to say. You can cheer them on, and that's about it. A good job or whatever it may be and yeah you could be disappointed when they drop the ball or whatever it may be but I said ultimately you haven't played anything so all you can do all you are is just a spectator and sadly that's what many Christians are today We're, they're spectators they're not in the game they're not doing the things that God wants them to do they're not reading God's Word they're not out there passing out tracks they're not witnessing to people they're just out there right just existing and here's what we have to understand is that if we're not getting involved, we have no impact. You know, in, uh, I gave the example of the football, professional football. Guess what? I don't think ever, anybody's ever asked, oh, what's the one loss record of the referee? Nobody's care Nobody cares about the referee. The only one that they care, the only one that the people care about are the players, are the teams, the ones that are involved. So what we need to do is we need to be a player for God, not a spectator. We need to be committed. We need to do the things that God wants us to do. Not the things that are convenient for me. Not the things that I want to do. Right? Not the things that make my life easy. No. Because when God calls, He will provide the resources necessary to accomplish whatever it is, the task that, he, that He's given us. All right? Let's pray. Father, we thank You once again for this day, Lord. Thank you for the short lesson in Haggai, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that through this, through these words, Lord, that it would just reaffirm our commitment unto you. For we know, Lord, the life of a Christian can be challenging. But the best news is that we have you, Lord. You, we have you. We can draw near unto you. You will draw near to us, Lord. And you will light our path and direct our ways, Father. 
But what we need to do is we need to depend and we need to commit unto you. So, Lord, I pray that uh, you just encourage the saints, Lord. I just lift up each and every one and just uh, ask that uh, you just continue to lead us and to guide us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.